Good morning and blessed Advent. Today is Thursday, December 14th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. And with only 10 days until Christmas Eve, we're still counting down to Christmas here on the show with a new hymn to study this morning. An all-time favorite of carolers and the cantor's choice for candlelight services. Today we're diving into hymn 363 in your Lutheran service books, Silent Night, Holy Night. But quick reminder as we begin that Thy Strong Word is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. They help bring the true message of Christmas around the world through their translating and publishing work. You can learn more about what they do and how you might be able to help or how they might be able to help your ministry at lhfmissions.org. Now, if you have any questions or comments, complaints or concerns about anything that we say on our show today, I'm open to hearing everything you have to say. Feel free to email me at pastorboo at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook. Just search for Phil Boo. You'll recognize which one's me. I think there's a couple of Phil Boos out there. Find me and uh, send me a friend request. Send me a message. That's another way to get your question or comment out on the air. But for right now, I'd like to welcome a new guest to the program, the Reverend George Ruish. He is the pastor of Grace Lutheran Church in Nashua, New Hampshire. Good morning, Pastor Ruish, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. Morning, Pastor Boo. Thanks for having me. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself, since this is the first time that you've been on the program, well, at the very least with me, I think maybe at all. Uh, tell us, you know, how are, how's God using you and your congregation? Just, you know, wh- what's the Christmas season look like to you? Tell us a little bit about you. Well, thanks uh, so much. So I'm uh, George Ruish, uh, serve as senior pastor here at Grace. Um, I have a wonderful associate pastor, Leslie Chen, who's uh, phenomenal, and he Graduated from St. Louis um, last year, and I am just tremendously blessed to be here at Grace, to be in New England. Uh, I was kind of thinking before we got on that we sort of switched places, because my first call was in Fairmont, Minnesota, and <laughs> you were out here in New England, and then we kind of oh. swapped. So, um, well, and there are New England's a great New place. England, to... I was going to say, there are things about New England I definitely miss. It is a great district. It's a wonderful district. Uh, the pastors here are top notch. Um, it's a very, uh, it's a very close knit district. Um, people really get to know each other. Um, the leadership knows the pastors. The pastors get along wonderfully. It's just a, it's a great place to serve. Yeah, it really is. Well, tell us a little bit about uh, your congregation there in Nashua. Now, I know you're the senior pastor and you have a, an associate pastor. Uh, what does it look like around Advent time? Do you guys decorate? Do you have Christmas trees? <laughs> What's it look like there? Well, I am blessed by what I like to think is the world's greatest altar guild, um, and they're phenomenal. So they dress up our narthex. We just uh, built a new narthex a few years ago, and they just do a tremendous job putting up Christmas trees and decorations. So we are definitely very festive. Uh, and actually on Sunday, we had a little um, ritual where families come up and help decorate the trees in the sanctuary. And so, yes, yeah, very festive here. Um, you think Christmas, you think New England, it's the place to be. So we love that here. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, do you have a favorite Christmas hymn? So we've been covering Christmas hymns and carols um, as we count down to Christmas. And it's been real fun so far. And one thing I'd like to ask every guest is, 
Do you have a favorite Christmas, or I'll, I'll add in Advent hymn, because we've covered a few Advent carols too, but what's your favorite uh, hymn of the holidays? Well, my favorite Christmas hymn is actually uh, What Child Is This? And oh, yeah. I love that hymn for a few reasons. Uh, first, it, it kind of puts us in the perspective of onlookers, sort of seeing everything that's going on during that first Christmas and kind of trying to sort it out. And it gives voice to almost a... Um, a little bit of confusion, you know, who is this child that the angels are singing about him and why is he laying in a manger? And I've just, uh, I've always appreciated that it's asking over and over again, what's really the most important question any of us will ever be asked, right? Which is, what do you think of Jesus? Who is he? Right. Who is Jesus, right? Because the answer to that question has eternal consequences. So of course the hymn tells us, right? Hail, hail, the word made flesh. <laughs> right. And, uh, Still, though, I think the most important words in that hymn are, um, you know, good Christian fear for sinners here. The silent word is pleading. I mean, the silent word is pleading. I just I love that. Yeah. And um, and then it goes on. Nails spear shall pierce him through the cross be born for me, for you. And I always make sure we sing that hymn because there's this other aspect of the manger scene that's so easy for us to forget about, which is that kind of specter of the cross. It's in the beauty and the serenity that we'll be talking about in Silent Night. Uh, at the same time, we have a child here who, in a certain sense, has already been sentenced to death. You know, he's on a trajectory yeah. toward crucifixion. So even as his mother holds him lovingly and tightly, as any mother would, his fate's been sealed. He's headed for the cross, and that's something his mother will also watch. And so I think sometimes we're so enthralled by the peace and beauty of Christmas that we forget where our peace comes from, which is the, the wounds of Christ, you know, mm. the death of Jesus that reconciled us to God. Well, it's a shame I didn't choose that for one of the ones we've been studying on our <laughs> That's countdown. Right. That's uh, LSB 370. But I, I agree with you. And I like that idea of, you know, the, the title and the very first line, what child is this? That's what every, not just Christian, but every single person has to make an answer for as you alluded to, and your answer to that um, has eternal consequences, to quote you. So, yeah, I think uh, that's a great hymn. Do you have a least favorite hymn? And I'll, I'll go, because my least favorite Christmas hymn, I have to admit, is, um, uh, oh, it just escaped me. <laughs> Sorry. Well, as I remember what it is, tell us, do you have a least favorite hymn at all, and any reasons why? You know, um, as a parish pastor, I'm going to decline to answer that question uh, so that I can avoid uh, upsetting any of my beloved parishioners because I oh. hate to have it be their favorite one. So we well, love them okay. all. We love the LSB and we'll sing all of them. Well, my parishioners know my least favorite hymns, Amazing Grace, Onward Christian Soldiers, and my least favorite Christmas hymn is Go Tell It on the Mountain. Just not a favorite. Just not a favorite. But, you know, it's kind of interesting. We talk about favorites or not. There's always that time when, you're, when your least favorite hymn is being sung in church. And it's important that even if you don't, you know, don't resonate with the tune, that you listen to the words. Because especially those in our hymnal, they've been vetted. They're, they're, these are hymns that the church has used to teach good theology. So even if you don't like the tune, and that's usually what I don't like is the tune. Well, and in this case, today we have Silent Night. And that's another hymn where it is a favorite of so many. But also, I think it's so common and so often used that maybe people feel it's a little worn out. I don't know. But um, what are your thoughts about the hymn we're studying today, just in general, Silent Night? 
Well, what I think is, at first, um, you know, it's funny, you, you said at the beginning, we should have done the other hymn, and I kind of thought the same thing uh, initially, but then the more I looked at this hymn and I thought about it, because um, on the surface it seems very simple and, and kind of, like you said, almost rote because it's part of the routine where we get out the candles and we have the ritual uh, every Christmas Eve. And um, sometimes, though, I think when we get used to something, we don't always appreciate the depth that might be there um, because it looks simple on the surface. And, you know, Lutheran hymns are kind of known for having this really deep, rich theology that's just dripping, you know, in every word. And you don't get as much of that maybe in this hymn. But you can kind of see it almost as an image of what we have in Christ, you know. What we see on the surface is not all that's going on, right? Yeah. And we have the, the infant um, who looks so simple and tender and mild and all these things. And yet at the same time, you know, the silent word is pleading for us sinners, right? So... I think there's more depth to this hymn than maybe what it looks like on the surface, and uh, so I'm I'm excited to talk about it. Well, my my favorite time of the year is actually Holy Week. I guess if I had to pick one, uh, but I also like Advent and Lent, and uh, you know they're all good. Is there something that you look forward to the most though during this time of year, Advent and Christmas? Is there just something that sort of revitalizes your spirit about this time of year? Hmm. Well, you know, Pastor, um, what I look forward to most this time of year is the Christmas Day service. Um, when I was a seminary student, I had just finished my first homiletics course. I had the privilege of uh, preaching at my home church, which is Grace Lutheran Church in Woodbridge, Virginia, uh, on Christmas Day. And I realized for the first time how beautiful that service is. You know, we didn't have all the brass and choirs and the pageantry of Christmas Eve. You know, we had a crowd that was maybe a fifth the size of what we'd had the night before, and that might even be a little generous. Um, but I got to preach on those phenomenal uh, texts and talk about John 1 and preach to those saints and sing the Christmas hymns that didn't make the first cut, right, for Christmas Eve. We got to sing the other ones. Uh, and it just made me think about what it must have been like for Mary and Joseph, the day after, you know, the spectacular angelic display and, and all this, just to enjoy the company of their newborn son. Um, it was peaceful. And ever since then, I think Christmas Day has been my favorite service of the year, even though there have been times here in New Hampshire when we have blizzard conditions and only a handful of people show up. Yeah. Uh, it's still wonderful. I look forward to it all year. That's funny you bring that up. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of like, you have this big family event, say for you know Christmas or Thanksgiving. In this case, let's say Christmas. You have this big family meal. Everybody's over, extended cousins and everything. Um, and that's kind of how Christmas Eve is at church. You know, it's packed. And then that Christmas Day, you kind of just get, and we'll just be honest, the faithful few. And it, it just sort of feels like you're back just with your, your family, if that makes sense. And that's not yeah. to say anything negative about all the visitors and sure. the wonderful pomp and circumstance, but... But yeah, you're right. It is kind of moving in a, in a silent way. Well, I tell you what, we do want to get into our text. So uh, would you start our time together off in prayer? And then we'll dive into the history or the story behind um, A Silent Night. Go ahead and lead us in prayer, please. Let us pray. Gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that you continue to bless us um, through this time of year. Uh, Lord, we pray that in the midst of so much hustle and bustle and <clears throat> so many things going on uh, and things to attend to, Lord, that you keep us focused 
on the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, and we pray that you would bless our time together in study so that we can more deeply and, and fully understand and appreciate that gift of your Son and, and what it means for us sinners. Uh, we pray that you'd bless our time together and all those listening here with uh, Christmas joy and peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, folks at home, you know, I don't believe any of the guests that I have scheduled are experts in hymn history, but all of us can do a little research, and I've asked guests to see what they can find out about all of the the, the hymns that we've been covering. And sometimes the stories are, well, pretty straightforward. Sometimes they're a little fanciful. You think, ah, that probably didn't really happen. Uh, I think this story, at least what I found, Seems to be a little bit more straightforward. No miracles, no God speaking the words into their ears. Uh, But tell me, what did you find about Silent Night? From what I understand, the author is Joseph Moore. Tell us about it. Yeah, so I have that wonderful resource, the uh, Companion to the Hymns from CPH, that uh, I do commend to anyone who is interested because it's just a tremendous uh, source of wonderful information. Uh, I got it as a gift from my wife a few years ago. But uh, as far as Joseph Moore goes, uh, the son of an unwed embroiderer and a mercenary soldier uh, who abandoned Joseph's mother before he was born, he was educated through the charity of a vicar at the city's cathedral. He had a gift for music. He sang and played the violin in various Salzburg religious institutions before, you know, he studied at a Benedictine monastery, went to seminary, uh, was ordained as a priest in 1815, which, of course, is just three years before he wrote um, Silent Night. Right. And he was, and I don't recall if you said this, but he was in a in Austria, right? In Oberndorf. Well, it's a little harder yeah. to say, but Oberndorf. Uh, so he's an Austrian, I'm going to guess Roman Catholic priest. I, I, I guess I forgot yes. to look. So not Anglican yep. or anything, yeah. Yeah, that's right. He was a Roman Catholic priest. All right. So, so from what I read, he was sort of inspired by uh, a mural or a painting uh, of uh, Mary and the three kings in the little church that he served. But part of the other stories I found had something to do with a midnight mass for Christmas Eve. And he was looking for a way to get this uh, poem that he had written and press it into service for the mass. Did you did you find that story about him and group uh, not Hans Gruber that would be the uh, bad guy <laughs> from Die Hard but Franz Gruber uh, he I had, made the same mistake during all the prep for this so uh, <laughs> he had a, no he had a hand in uh, in the in the hymn in the hymn part the actual tune so yeah it's um, reported that Silent Night was performed for the first time Christmas Eve eighteen eighteen at the uh, recently constructed St. Nicholas Church, as you said, in Oberndorf. Uh, Joseph Moore was the curate of the church at the time. He wrote the poem, we now know as Silent Night, the hymn. Originally had six stanzas, but what we have now uh, would be like stanzas one, six, and two of the original. Uh, Moore gave the poem to the organist, Franz Gruber, on that Christmas Eve, same night, Gruber gave Moore the simple musical composition. They performed it together. Originally, uh, two voices, guitar and choir, and it's possible that um, Moore accompanied on the guitar because the organ was broken and needed repair, and they had the choir kind of repeat the final two phrases at the end of each stanza. So then, of course, it was a huge success, was heard all over. 
uh, underwent some changes over time, as you might expect. You mentioned that he was uh, Roman Catholic, and of course, as Protestants came to love the hymn and adopt it and, and move it around and translate it, some little things got changed. Uh, originally, Jesus is described as having curly hair, which was <laughs> questioned by Catholics and Protestants alike. And also, there is this sort of um, evolution in how they referred to the couple, Mary and Joseph, from holy couple to blessed couple to parental couple, uh, depending on the translation. So um, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, you talk about it evolving, though. You know, this is a this is a song, a carol, however you want to describe it, a hymn that that went from this sort of almost rushed, let's get something for the midnight mass to being heard by people like the king of Prussia, who and heard it in 1834 and was impressed, uh, brought to the United States by the Rainier family. They sang it first at Trinity Lutheran Church. But since then, it's been translated in over 300 languages. You know, it started off as guitar because the, the, the story goes that the church organ was broken, but but now it's sung everywhere. Uh, one of the most famous, I guess, singings, <laughs> performances, maybe is that the word, of, uh, of Amazing Grace reportedly comes from 1914 during World War One. that uh, Christmas truce that... Well, I guess the first time I ever heard about it was because Garth Brooks was singing about it when I was a kid. But still, did you find anything about this uh, this Christmas truce during World War One? I? I actually uh, I didn't. I was kind of drawn to you're mentioning the Rainier family. Uh, it's believed the first performance of the hymn in the U.S. was on uh, Christmas Day in 1839 in front of the Alexander Hamilton Memorial in the cemetery of Trinity Church on Wall Street in New York City. Right, which is kind of fascinating. I mean, it's just, you always wonder, like, how do hymns get overseas, especially in a time when there is some, but not a lot of uh, travel uh, between the continents. And yeah, they get brought over by performers. And and um, yeah, I guess that other extra thing I was just talking about is there was this Christmas truce of 1914. And, and what, from what I read, they were, among all the trenches and the hostilities of World War I, the soldiers on opposing sides on Christmas laid down their arms, they exchanged gifts, and they sang carols, including Silent Night. Um, I think that's just sort of a powerful illustration people use. And while I read that and found it, I, I, I don't know, maybe someone could write in and let me know, but I'm not sure how for sure it is or if it's just kind of something that's been passed around, you know, gossip or, or, or folk tales or that sort of thing. But, you know, for a long time, though, the song was actually a subject of a lot of mystery and speculation because they didn't have the original manuscript. And so throughout time, some people had thought that it was written by like some famous composers like Mozart or Beethoven or Hayden. Um, it wasn't actually until 1994 when they found the manuscript in Moore's handwriting that the true authors were finally confirmed, and that is, of course, Joseph Moore and Franz Gruber. But it's a it's a great hymn, and it's always a favorite of people, especially during that candlelight service. But I tell you what, why don't we dig into it? Let's look at the lyrics of the hymn and see what we can uh, see what we can come up with. So the first stanza is "Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright." Round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant so tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace, sleep in heavenly peace. All right, yeah, as you said earlier, it seems kind of straight, 
forward, but tell us what the theme, what the biblical concepts are behind this first stanza. Well, what I think uh, right away about this hymn is kind of the, the contrast and the tension between things. You know, there's a lot of tension in the Christian life, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute, but here in this first stanza, we see things next to each other that don't seem to belong together and seem to be in tension. And we've sung this hymn so much for so long that I think we can kind of miss that sometimes. So just as an example, virgin mother and child. There's some pretty big tension right there, right? The virgin mother. How often does that happen? (laughs) Spoiler alert, right? Just the once. (laughs) Apart from, you know, the miracle of the incarnation, those two terms would not belong together. And I think it's, a, it's an example of where we can sort of just sing that and just kind of blow over it and say, oh, okay, well, yeah, of course, we've sung this a hundred times. And yes, Jesus was born to a virgin. Like, we know that. Um, but then you kind of stop and think about it and say, apart from this miracle, that's a very strange thing to say, right? Um those terms would not belong together. And so the first thing we're doing in this hymn is we're confessing the miracle that the virgin indeed was with child and bore a son, you know, as prophesied in Isaiah 7, 14. And then we have the next tension, which is holy infant, so tender and mild, you know, and there's a lot of tension there as well. Hmm. Um, Holy infant. Well, we know and confess and believe in original sin, right? So as cute as babies are, I have three of them. I love them dearly. Um, Love my wife, Jennifer, who takes wonderful care of them. We wouldn't describe them as holy, right? Which is precisely why we baptize them. Right, right. But the infant Jesus is, in fact, holy um, because he is the Son of God, holy, blameless, without sin, though he would go on to become sin for us. Um, And then also the fact that this holy infant is tender and mild. There's this tension I think we as Christians have always struggled to understand and reconcile. Uh, The fact that Jesus is fully God and fully man. We've got 2,000 years and counting of heresies that are mostly caused by people misunderstanding the two natures of Christ and his relationship to his heavenly Father. It's very difficult for us to imagine that our holy God could also be a defenseless infant. You know, we have no issue confessing that God is holy. We do it in the Sanctus every Sunday, not to mention our hymns and prayers. But how often do we use the terms tender or mild to describe God? Right? I wonder even, as I, as I hear you say that, I, I, I'm thinking about that word mild. I mean, or even tender for that matter. I mean, mild can mean... I mean, what does mild mean? <laughs> let's let's just sort of break that down. I mean, in some ways, it can just mean minor, unimportant, insignificant, like, you know, oh, it's a mild cold. It's just not a big deal. Um, in this case, I think it probably is talking a little bit more about one's disposition, like not quick to anger, that sort of thing. But we know that, as, as you were pointing out, tender and mild certainly apply to infants, but holiness wow holiness is about being set apart so yeah i see that tension there where i didn't before i mean yes virgin mother and child seems a little bit more obvious but i definitely see that theme that you're pulling out tender and mild yeah we don't think of jesus being tender and mild 
uh, when he's confronting the Pharisees. We don't think of right. Jesus being tender and turning mild. over tables and yeah, when he returns in judgment. Um, but in this moment, he is. And yeah, what a fascinating thought. And then uh, you know the next part, sleep in heavenly peace. And there's and there's a little tension there too because when we think about the scene, right, and the context. Um, is it a peaceful scene? I mean, how peacefully would you sleep in a manger full of animals when some shepherds you don't know came to worship you and everything else? Like, is this a peaceful place to be? Uh, but because Jesus has come, you know, because God has fulfilled his promise to send a Savior, we can all, you know, indeed sleep in heavenly peace because the peace of heaven has come to earth. And so I think the miracle of Christmas kind of lies in that tension between mm -hmm. things. Well, you know, and I also, as I'm reading the lyrics here, I guess I've sometimes been confused on uh, who is being talked to when it says sleep in heavenly peace. Um, it's not sleeping in heavenly peace. So is it, so it's, it seems to be a directive. It seems to be uh, um, a statement that's saying you need to do this. So, you can or you have to sleep in heavenly peace. Yeah, is it talking to the holy infant, so tender and mild, you sleep in heavenly peace? Is it saying, now we get to sleep in heavenly peace? Or is it saying both, because it does mention it twice? I kind of saw it as both. You know, I saw sort of the way that you would speak to an infant, oh, sleep, sweet baby, you know, singing a lullaby kind of to the child. But then also, as I said, you know, all of us, can indeed sleep in heavenly peace knowing that that Christ has come to save us. So I I think it's probably open to interpretation, but at least the way that I read it was maybe directed both ways. Well, you bring up the these different, not contradictions, but just tensions uh, that are going on. Well, even the very first line, the title of the, the, the hymn is Silent Night, Holy Night. And you already touched on it a little bit, but not a very silent night when we talked about away in a manger we talked about you know no crying he makes well that seems inconsistent with babies right well the same thing here it seems inconsistent that the night is perfectly silent but is there a, a silence and a holiness about this night that obviously is more spiritual that we should be focusing on i mean being silent in the face of holiness i think is also something that's being brought to our minds in the same way that you mentioned earlier about what child is this, you know, we're, we're contemplating the question. I think this introduces us to a situation for contemplation, silence. There's a holiness about what's going on, a calmness. And then all is bright around this virgin mother and child. So where's that brightness coming from? Is that brightness from the Christmas star or is it brightness just from more of a spiritual brightness, kind of like you see the the auras or the halos around the Holy Family in paintings and icons. Yeah, you know, it'll go on um, and say, radiant beams from thy holy face, you know, with the dawn of redeeming grace. So I kind of think it's really just talking about that spiritual light and warmth mm -hmm. um, of, what's, of what's coming. And I think there's a, a lesson there for us as Christians, too, that things uh, are sometimes more and different than what they appear. You know, somebody walking past and seeing this child in the manger may not know everything that's going on there. And so 
you know, in our own lives when we're in this darkness and it looks, we look around and it looks like God's not here, God's not listening, um, he's not answering my prayers. We have confidence in his word that he does, in fact, hear our prayers, that he is uh, living and active and working in the world, um, that he does love us. And so there's always kind of another layer and more going on than what we originally see. So even in this dark night, there's still this brightness, right? Even if you can't physically see it, because Christ has indeed come. Yeah. Know, there's there's brightness there. The the silent awe, the holiness, the brightness, that's all coming because Jesus is there. And we're going to talk more about that when we get back from our break. So don't go anywhere. We'll see you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back, dear listeners. I'm Pastor Phil Boo, your host, and this is Thy Strong Word. With me this morning is the Reverend George Ruish. He's the pastor of Grace Lutheran Church in Nashua, New Hampshire. And we're counting down to Christmas by contemplating Christmas hymns according to the scriptures. This morning we've been looking at Silent Night, Holy Night. But before we head back into that hymn, I just want to remind you once again that if you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to me. Email me at pastorboo at gmail.com. Be sure to spell it right, P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook. Uh, Let's get back to our text. Now, brother, we were just sort of finishing up the first stanza. There's a couple of Bible passages I want to bring in. Really, folks, you could go read Luke 2. That's going to cover most of it. But I'm going to read Luke 2, 6 and 7. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And Luke 2, 10 later says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. So that was, of course, the message to the shepherds. So we have God's plan unfolding on earth, but, you know, we often talk about how Christ comes as the Messiah and sort of people didn't expect him to be. He didn't come as a warlord to, you know, fight off the oppressive armies, but he came to give himself up. But I I don't know if we talk about, uh, maybe, maybe we do, but maybe not enough about how odd this is that the king of all creation should be born in such a humble and, and strange way, um, laying in a manger. Any thoughts about that before we move on to our next, uh, our next stanza? Well, yeah, and that's a, another example, right, of that tension that we have around this, um, this incarnational theme. 
is the idea that we have about kings and what they're supposed to look like and the kinds of things they're supposed to do and the way they're supposed to treat people and behave uh, doesn't line up with Jesus, right? It's intention because we think, you know, hey, if you're in charge, everybody serves you. And Jesus says, well, no, actually the greatest among you is going to be your servant, right? The whole economy of God is backwards of what we think it ought to be. And so um, there's that tension that is going to be borne out in the ministry of Christ when we think about his interactions with Pharisees and with other people, um, that their expectations for how he should be and what he should say and how he should behave uh, is different than what actually happens. And so the scene, like you said, of of the king of all creation being born this way and um, and what people thought it ought to be. Luke two chapter, uh, sorry, Luke chapter two verses eight and nine, right before what I just read, talks about the shepherds. And in that same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. Let's read the second stanza of our hymn: Silent night, holy night, shepherds quake at the sight. Glory stream from heaven afar, heavenly hosts sing Alleluia. Christ the Savior is born, the Savior is born. So we have silent night, holy night, that's sort of the refrain at the beginning, but shepherds quake. Um, There's now a different kind of, uh, I guess, tension, right? We have this silent, holy night, but we have shepherds who are afraid. What are they afraid of? What's going on? Well, and that's, like you said, another tension, right, is uh, people get tense when God shows up. We see that over and over again, right? When the angel shows up, um, when God has a message, uh, they have to say, fear not, right? Fear not, because the default is to fear. Uh, When we sinners encounter the holiness of God, um, our natural reaction is to fear. You know, whether that's cowering uh, after seeing a miracle or, you know, being afraid when the angel comes to visit. Um, So with the shepherds here, they're quaking at the sight and, again, have to be told, fear not, um, because their first thought might be, uh-oh, what did we do, right, when when the angel shows up? Um, it's not necessarily that they're going to get good news, but then they find out that, in fact, they do get good news. They get the greatest news that anyone's ever gotten, right, that Christ the Savior is born. And so this tension continues with the fact that it's a silent night, and yet we have shepherds quaking. We have glories streaming. We have heavenly hosts singing. Right. Um, it's it's just, there's a lot going on there. Yeah, imagine the entire skies filled with the armies of God shouting and singing hallelujah, and the author of this hymn goes, silent night, holy night. You know, it's, it's not because he's uneducated about what's going on, but he sure. wants to give us that that tension that you've been talking about. But I I think there's also this idea, the silent night, holy night too, where if you're afraid of something, I think for most people, you don't run your mouth. You, you you stop talking. You, you, you quake. Maybe you, you back up. Uh, when the angel says fear, not, I always like to translate that stop being afraid because I mean, they're already afraid. It's not like he's saying, don't start being afraid, but why are they afraid? 
Uh, aren't aren't angels little chubby babies with wings and cute faces like we see in the in the stores? I mean, tell us a little bit about angels. Like, wh- why would this be a scary thing? I know it, you said when God shows up, and they certainly represent God's presence, but there's something even about that creature of angel that, well, I don't know. I think people misrepresent nowadays. Yeah, and certainly we know that the angels of God— um, do what God wants them to do and the messages that he has. And we're living in a world that is post-incarnation, right? We're living in a world where we have been reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus. But for these shepherds, when the angels come to visit, like you alluded to, you know, we're not talking about the chubby cherubims and so forth. We're talking about holy, you know, mighty creatures that, uh, really can represent judgment and death and and can not always have good news for us. And I can imagine the shepherds were probably thinking to themselves, you know, why us? Like, there's a whole lot of fuss, right? There's a whole lot going on here, and we're just out here trying to watch the sheep. You know, we're just minding our business here, and somebody's in trouble, right? Something's going on. Do you have a Christmas tree in your house? Yes. Oh, right. So what's at the top of it? Do you, are you a star or are you an angel guy? We're usually a star star family. But, <laughs> a star uh, family. Okay. We've been known to do angels too. So Yeah, we. I think we do angels too. It, it's just interesting because every angel you buy is either that sort of cherub type angel or it's um, you know, a very feminine, you know, wearing a beautiful gown kind of angel. I don't think we know exactly what the angels look like, but... This is a sight that would fill anyone with fear. In fact, the Bible says they were filled with great fear. Um, but at the same time, the angels have a message. Luke 12, 13, and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel, that was one angel at first, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. That's not usually what people say. That's not exactly how it's often quoted. Usually it's just peace toward mankind or something. But it says right here that uh, peace among those with whom he is pleased. How might we understand that in the, in the context of what's going on here? Well, I think um, there's a couple of levels to that. And one of the immediate levels is to go back to when the angel appeared to Mary and says, you know, you're highly favored, right? right. So you're, you've been chosen for this purpose. And, and she's kind of confused, right? Well, how is this going to be? I'm a virgin, right? And who am I, right? And then you go to the shepherds here. And once they realize that this is good news and they say, hey, let's go with haste. Let's go see the baby. They've been chosen for something special that they did not expect. And this is that same uh, theme where God is, is lifting up the lowly right? He's pulling people out of uh, the muck of our, of our sin, and he, he's elevating people. Um, and in this case, he's chosen people who probably did not ever imagine that they were going to be part of this story, right? Mary didn't think she was going to be part of this story. Angels didn't think they were going to be part of this story. I mean, excuse me, um, the shepherds didn't think they were going to be part of this story. So I do think that uh, when God's favor is resting on us, he's choosing us for something special. And now we think about, you know, the doctrine of election and the idea that 
God has chosen us for salvation, right? Um, we do have peace because of the favor that he's shown us by sending us Jesus Christ as our Savior. And that yeah, favor can't. that we've received from God is peace. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, I think that's the idea, is it, the, what is coming upon the earth is the ability to be silent in the holiness of God you know, Christ has come, and for those on whom he has, or with whom he is pleased, well, as you said, he's pleased with Mary because of her obedience. He's pleased with us because of our obedience. But, of course, that obedience is empowered by his Holy Spirit and the faith he gives us. So, you know, it is a, it's a, a wonderful situation that God demands uh, that we have faith, and he demands that we be obedient, and then he gives us those things freely out of his grace. So it's a wonderful thing. Well, are you ready to move on to the third stanza anything, or anything sure. else about this? All right, let's move on. Here we go. This is the last stanza that's commonly sung that we have in our hymnal. Silent night, holy night, son of God, love's pure light, radiant beams from thy holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. So this stands as declaring the identity and mission of Jesus, right? He's the son of the God, son of God, the one and only God. Yeah, he's the light of the world, and he's come to reveal God's love to us. Take us through this. Yeah, so here we, we do, like you said, have that good confession, you know, that Jesus is the son of God. You know, the radiant beams from his holy face. I mean, I don't think we take that literally, but it does give us an image of the love and the warmth that Jesus came to bring us, which stands in contrast to the dark and the cold of that night and the conditions in the manger. And we have the words, with the dawn of redeeming grace. And I tell you, I had, who knows how many times I sung that in my life. And it wasn't until I was um, asked to come on here with you, which, by the way, thank you so much for, for having me today. Oh, I'm um, excited to have you. It wasn't until I had the opportunity to really sit down and study this hymn that I could appreciate how beautiful those words are and how meaningful that is, the dawn of redeeming grace. Because, you know, throughout this hymn, we've been saying night, 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 right? Silent night, holy night, silent night, holy night. But at the end of the hymn, we're actually talking about the dawn. And it's not the dawn of a new day, but it's the dawn of a new era, right? It's a time when men are reconciled to God. It's a time when there's grace and forgiveness for our sins. It's a time of redemption and hope and joy and peace. And so in the end, you know, that's really what all of this is about. It's about God and man being reconciled in the God-man Jesus Christ. And so I think, you know, for myself, thinking about this hymn overall, the message I take from it is that the Christian life is a life of blessed tension. You know, we're, we're both sinners and saints. You know, we look forward to our future, and in the end times, we have that uh, wonderful seminary term, right, inaugurated eschatology, but <laughs> now and not yet. Um, this hymn really helps us focus on what a miracle Jesus' birth was and how his incarnation really changes everything. That not only did God shine his face on us, but and was gracious to us, but we also got to see his face, too. And we have a God who relates to us, who understands us, a God who laughs with us when we laugh and grieves with us when we grieve and has all the experiences that we have as human beings, 
but at the same time is is holy and just and almighty and righteous and all those things that we normally associate with God. And so I think this is the time of year that we can really reflect on the fact that our God became one of us. You know, we don't have a God who's far off. We don't have a God who's too busy to pay attention to us. We have a God who came and and ate and drank among us and who died for us. Um, this is really a profound thing, and, and other religions don't have this to offer people, right? It's, it's try to get God's attention. If you're really, really good, maybe he'll reward you. But what we say is, no, God actually came to us. And then we look forward to the day when Christ comes again in glory, and that tension that we've been talking about this whole time is finally relieved, right? When when all these things, the, the sinner and saint just becomes saint, right? And, and these things are all resolved. I just want to emphasize what you said, because I have never really noticed that either. This is why we're doing this study, folks, because I'm hoping that all of these hymns, whether they're your favorites or not, um, are, are ones that you can maybe identify a little bit more with what it's teaching. And yes, I'd never noticed the silent night, silent night, silent night, and now radiant beams from thy holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace. Yeah, what a great, what a great thing. I'm glad you brought that up. It reminds me of John 3, 16 and 17, right? Because you talked about him coming to bring us that peace, to resolve the tension in some ways, the tension of saint and sinner. John 3, 16 and 17 emphasize that. Uh, at least 16 will be very familiar to most of you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But it continues. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the same Jesus, of course, who said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. So, yeah, the author, or the, the, yeah, the author of this carol is using even this sense of darkness and light. Darkness is typically described in the Bible as the time when sins happen, when uh, people are outside of God's favor. So even at the very beginning, just saying silent and holy night is starting to give us a hint that things are turning around. And then by the third hymn, we see exactly what he's talking about with the dawn of Jesus's redeeming grace. Right, what what beautiful imagery, something I hadn't slowed down to think about either. Yeah, it's awesome. I really came to appreciate this hymn in a new way uh, after getting to spend some time with it. Me too. Well, anything else about any of parts of the hymn that we didn't get to cover or anything else you want the people to know? Well, I just really appreciated the opportunity to look at it more closely and to think about how God is really in the little things um, that so often we, we think of ourselves as not important, right? And then at the same time, we have a God who, who came to us, uh, became one of us, a God who knows us each by name, who knows every hair on our heads. Um, and we go about our normal lives, and we do these normal things, and we have trouble believing that they're sanctified. You know, yes, we get dressed up and we go to church, and, and that's holy time. But when I'm changing diapers or when I'm mm-hmm. doing the dishes or when I'm, you know, filling out spreadsheets or whatever, that this is not pleasing to God or that God's not interested in this. He's not there. He doesn't care. Uh, but right here in this hymn, 
what we see is um, underneath this kind of ordinary scene, there's a lot going on. You know, there's this is the dawn of redeeming grace. This is uh, a God who really does care, who really does pay attention, and who's working even when we don't see it, and who, who lifts up the holy, you know, who makes sure the poor have enough to eat, a God who's concerned about people that the world may not be concerned about. So I know that this time of year um, brings out a lot of wonderful things for people, but also can be a painful time of year. Uh, holidays are very stressful. And just to know that you have a God who you know, sent his son to be with you, to be with you, and to love you, and to um, go through the things that you've been through. You have a God who knows you by name and who knows what it's like to live in this world and who hears your prayers, even when you don't feel like you're doing something particularly holy. Mm. That's so true. That's so true. I mean, think about Mary's faithfulness, too. And her faithfulness to God was to be a mother to Jesus. Nothing, I, mean, I don't want to say nothing greater, because obviously, how could you have anything greater? But but like nothing uh, to the world's point of view, uh, is she called to do something amazing? You know, she's not called to go and help all the lepers in India or anything like that. She's called to be faithful in her vocation. And we certainly honor her because she was. And that's the inspiration I see here, too, in this idea that here's a holy family. God didn't just drop Jesus off in the middle of nowhere. He didn't come even as an adult, but he grew up in sort of basically the the smallest building block of his creation, and that is the family. Um, but I think it's also worth talking a little bit about how, you know, this is sort of a somber hymn because it's quiet and we're contemplating you know, silent nights and holy nights and angels and Jesus laying in a manger. Sometimes the somber hymns of Christmas can also drag up some memories for people, especially very, very famous ones like this. And so I just want to take a second to, for those of you who, for whom this time of year is, well, not always merry and bright because maybe it's the first Christmas since you've lost a loved one. Maybe it's the 10th Christmas since you lost a loved one. Maybe family's far away, but you know, God is never far away. He came as a child incarnate as one of us so that he could appreciate, um, or so that you know for sure that he appreciates anew exactly how what it feels like to be one of us, to be in your place. And so I think Silent Night is a can also be a little bit of a somber hymn, remembering that even in a broken world, God has come to restore things, and, and his light is shining on us, and, and the end is coming, but... Yeah, we don't know when. <laughs> Any, uh, what do you think about that? You know, Christmas is such a wonderful time of the year, but there are people for whom it just it just isn't, and that's kind of sad. Yeah, I mean, I've observed this over the years. You you mentioned um, someone who maybe who has lost a loved one. I've been in parish ministry about eleven years now, and uh, I have observed that over the years, many times uh, the holidays in particular for people who are grieving, are really tough. Um, sometimes it also can trigger th just anything because of the stress level, you know, mm -hmm. of trying to get everything done. Um, but I think one of the lessons from this hymn, too, is it's okay to just sleep in heavenly peace. You know, um, as I said earlier, I, I think it's directed at the infant. I think it's also directed at us. Look at what God can do that he doesn't need our help for, you know, right. There, right. that that he can do these things and we can just 
appreciate and and find joy and comfort in that, to know that he is God, that he is working, that he is doing things, whether we can see them or not, and um, to know that his presence is with us all the time. Well, as we wrap up, one of the things I tried to do is when I went online, I tried to search for like the original lyrics, you know, because you mentioned earlier there were six original stanzas and we ended up with three of them commonly sung around the world. Um, I actually had a little bit of a hard time kind of nailing them down. There's so many different translations out there and people add and take away certain things. Um, I, I, I found one. Uh, it says, Silent night, holy night, wondrous star, lend thy light. With the angels let us sing, Alleluia to our King. Christ the Savior is born. Christ the Savior is born. Uh, did you find any others out there that might be more original to the uh, to the text? So the um, LSB resource does have for the first stanza, um, the English translation is, Silent night, holy night, all are sleeping. Only the dear holy couple keeps its holy watch. Mm. Sweet boy with curly hair, as we talked about earlier. <laughs> sleep in heavenly peace. Sleep in heavenly peace. Wow. I, yeah, that is definitely one I've never heard. Have you ever heard that sung anywhere? I certainly haven't. Um, no, but it, I mean, it would be in German. But uh, yeah, true. yeah, that was the original uh, the original translation there. Oh, man. Well, I tell you what, there there are others out there, folks, if you want to go and search them up. Or you can go ahead and head to cph.com. You can explore their offerings. They have some good resources. Well, I tell you what, I think this brings our time together to an end. But it's been great talking Silent Night, Holy Night with you. I'd like to officially thank my guest this morning, the Reverend George Ruish. He's the pastor of Grace Lutheran Church in Nashua, New Hampshire, in one of the best districts of the Senate in the New England District. Brother, thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much, Pastor, for having me, and uh, blessed Advent to you, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, and the blessed rest of Advent. Folks, tomorrow the countdown continues. We're turning our hymnals to page 365. We're actually going to cover Away in a Manger. We've talked about it a couple of times, but Away in the Manger, a very familiar hymn to most people. Um, Let's let's learn something new about that, too. Let's see if we can uh, in, enliven our hearts with Christmas spirit as we learn more about Christmas hymns as we count down to Christmas right here on Thy Strong Word. So until tomorrow, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in Thy Strong Word. Amen.